Mike Traverso with the Friends That Code podcast, where I get a chance to showcase some amazing people I know that just happen to write code for a living. Folks, today I have the pleasure of speaking with someone that I met a few weeks ago at Suncoast Developer Guild uh, Demo Day slash conference. Uh, you see, folks, I was intrigued by today's guest's hat. Wearing a giant pirate hat, complete with feather, today's guest gave a compelling talk about Git and branching. Now, pulling off a talk about Git and branching is difficult in itself, but doing it in a pirate hat harder still. Today's guest pulled it off incredibly well and got me interested in her work. Part of the reason she wears her pirate hat is to help folks at meetups or conferences feel at ease and make herself more approachable. She's the communications manager for Front End Foxes, an organization that doesn't just meet, they skulk. They help mentor students to build their own web and mobile apps and web technologies over breakfast, lunches, full day workshops, as well as meetups. Speaking of web technology, if you've ever visited The Verge, Polygon, SB Nation, Eat, Recode, Vox, or Curb, then you've experienced today's guest's work. She's a senior front-end engineer at Vox Media and has written the software and tools that journalists, editors, and staff use to put together those websites. She builds these tools working remotely and with a remote team and advocates for remote working whenever she's able to. With all that experience she's amassed over her career, she doesn't just sit back. She takes time to give conference talks and mentor the next generation of developers. Growing the tech community isn't the only community she's interested in growing. She's also a volunteer with the Girl Scouts. Making tomorrow better by mentoring young, curious minds is something she is passionate about. Now, you can visit voxmedia.com to see today's guest software powering a multitude of online magazines. And you can also check out frontendfoxes.org for actual workshop content and how to join your local meetup. Engineer developer, community organizer, front-end fox, conference speaker, Girl Scout volunteer, remote work advocate, and owner of one serious badass pirate hat. Ladies and gentlemen, today's guest is Michelle Sinowitz. Michelle, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. How you doing? What an intro. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's part of the podcast. You get to give me your time, I at least can give you a decent introduction. That was cool to listen to. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, hi. Uh, it's great to be on your on your podcast today. Um, do you want to hear about the pirate hat? <laughs> I, I do, but I want to I want to we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Because I but I want to find out a little bit about your work. Trust me, we're going to get into the pirate hat. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I, I mentioned that you're a senior front end engineer at Box and mentioned a bit of what you do. Could you give it us a little bit more color around that, though? Because I I didn't want to steal all of your thunder. <laughs> sure. Um, so I'm part of a team that, as you said, uh, builds the editorial tools. So editors for the um, the networks and even the customers who publish through Box Media, um, they use a soft a software suite called Chorus. Oh, cool. And I am on the I am one of the front end engineers on the development team behind the chorus suite of of publishing applications. So that in, that is a like a story editing platform that includes workflows for um, individual writers plus editors um, in um, 
tasks that can they can work simultaneously in the same interface while not together in the same room. Yeah. Uh, and there's a whole publishing workflow and a layout modeling um, set up ways to preview your article before you're ready to publish places for editors to put in notes. Um, and we also uh, run a, 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 an application for video management. So when I started with Vox Media, I was I joined the team that built the video management application. Um, and I've, I've moved up from there as part of a growing team to, to, uh, to work on all of those applications that serve our editorial, um, editorial networks. Okay. <laughs> all right. So I got, I have a, I have a serious technical question for you and then we're going to get to the hat. What's your favorite part of working with the technology that you work with? Uh, well, I am a big advocate for Vue.js, the framework, and I am happy to say that I get to work with it every day because it's the framework of choice for the applications that we're building. Mm -hmm. And I really, I really enjoy the the ease with which I can build an entire new feature uh, with a Vue.js with the Vue.js framework. It gives me um, opportunity to work seamlessly with the data. Um, as a front-end engineer, it's, it's pulling data and and manipulating data is always um, is not my favorite part. Okay, is dealing with yeah. with that because I'm a front-end all the way. Yeah, I hear, uh, but, I hear you. Same, same here. But, yeah, but Vue makes it Vue.js makes it um, a, a pleasure to work with uh, the data that we that we bring in. It, it's very um, streamlined for the type of work that I like to do. Very cool. Yeah, I saw I saw a video of your DevFest Florida talk from I think last year, and you know because I was thinking about putting a website together for the show, and I just didn't want to do it, um, <laughs> so I don't have one. And but but I saw yours, and I was like, oh, you know, maybe I should mess around and get interested in view and see what's going on there. So I might reach out to you for some assistance. <laughs> um, awesome. Actually, but I saw that you know the front end foxes had a, had a great website with a lot of content there. Uh, so I'm going to check that out as well. But so, and you work remotely, right? Yes. That's, that's, that's got its positives and minuses, right? I mean, um, you're, why is it important, you know, for, you know, companies to offer this opportunities to their employees? I'll, I'll give you my take after you give me your take. Well, the first thing that, that I love about, remote work being available is that I don't have to live in a major city. I don't have to live in a really expensive space to, to find work, to do my job. Um, I get to live where it's preferable for me to live, uh, to raise my family. And um, I get to work with people all over the country and sometimes all over the world without having to travel there which is a beautiful thing, uh, especially when you have family and you're, you're a little bit grounded for your, uh, for your children, as I am. Um, I also think it's great that a company that offers remote uh, work can employ people who don't live in these expensive cities. I feel like it's, an, it's, an, it's a bit of an equalizer in that respect because, um, when I, I, we're gonna, I know we're going to talk about this later, but I used to live in New York City, and uh, the hardest thing was commuting to work 
because I worked in Manhattan, but Manhattan was too expensive to live there. So, uh, but in order to, to maintain a job and build a career in this industry in New York, you had to work in Manhattan. That's where all the work was. And if you couldn't work in Manhattan, you really weren't going to move up very far. Uh, so this idea that, that I could work for a major company, um, but, and yet live anywhere I choose is, is such an amazing opportunity. I think everybody should have that. <laughs> I 100% agree. And, and as you were talking, it was one thing that kind of, you know, it didn't occur to me because I also work remotely. Being able to work with people that, I mean, you're getting experts or you're getting the best from around the world as opposed to in a geographical location. And I think that's something that if it doesn't appeal to company, you should. Uh, to your point about living in New York City, and, and, and my other favorite part is the commute, because I used to live in New York City as well. Uh, I used to take the D train in every day from the, you know, back end of Brooklyn, and it it was not fun. So the, the, the 10 seconds it takes me to get from my living room to my office is fantastic every morning. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, work-life balance that, that you can't get any other, any other way. Yeah. And, and I think it makes for, it makes for a happier employees. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that I, you know, want to get your, your take on is, you know, what, what tips do you have for people who are working from home and how can they be more effective? Because it's, it's a challenge when you, you're, you're, you've got a brand new office space and there's a, a whole lot of distractions. So, I mean, yeah. What, what are your tips for being more effective? Um, I like to work on a, on a schedule, right? So some people think of, of working remote being, you can work anytime you want. You know, you can start late at night and work overnight, or you can start early in the morning and only work, you know, a certain number of hours in the morning and then switch off. Um, so some people view the, oppor- the opportunity to work remote as an opportunity to work at any time, but that actually backfires in a lot of ways because it takes you out of a routine and in some cases will have you working more hours than you want to. Uh, so I'm a big believer in following a schedule uh, because it's not imposed on me necessarily, um, but it it keeps a flow and like there's an expectation like I expect I will be working at this time and I expect I will be doing other things in my household at this other time, right? right? And I can organize my day um, of work in a way that that is helpful. So if I need to um, take time away from my office to do something with my children, or if I need to, um, you know, run an errand for my household, uh, you know, if I take time away in the middle of the day, I can add time on at the end. But all of that is planned ahead of time. Uh, So it's not like I'm trying to work, but I'm also trying to find the time to go run that errand or find the time to go do that thing with the kids. It's already settled. It's already planned ahead. Exactly. But it's just like you're working in an actual real office. So like, don't, don't treat your home space as it's a home space. It's your real, it's an office, you know, that's your home office. And so, you know, working from the house, like working from the couch when I, when I, so when I first started, I thought working from the couch, this will be fantastic, nice and comfortable. 
but it's the worst because you get distracted by everything that's going on. So you know, setting up a, your own space I found has been uh, the most uh, beneficial. Uh, yeah, definitely. So. Definitely. It gives you a, a moment to be like, this door is closed. I am here in this space. This is work. And then when I'm leaving here, I'm not working. So yeah, it does. It does. Um, it's kind of, it's, you can corner yourself off mentally if you're working in the living room on the sofa, <laughs> but it's, it's easier to focus if you've cornered yourself off physically. Yes. And, and soundproof headphones, uh, you know, or <laughs> any active noise cancellation headphones, those you need way more than if you're sitting on a, you know, a, one of those big kind of desks where you, you're right next to your coworkers. Like you need it way more at home because there's so many more <laughs> distractions going on here. Um, That's true. So you mentioned you're from New York City. I'm from I'm from originally from New York City. Uh, being a New York City transplant, okay. What do you miss the most about New York City? And then, so here here's the part here's the part in the show where we alienate everybody. Everybody turns the show off, and they're like, "Oh, two New Yorkers are getting together and talking about New York. What else is new?" Uh, but but really, what what do you what do you miss the most from New York City? I would say I'm I miss some of the culture. Uh, I miss the, the when it, places that I used to go to in Manhattan when I would go for leisure. Yep. Um, like, you know, like the big parks, Bryant Park, Central Park. Um, I miss Broadway, it would be yes. nice, you know, once in a while to say, hey, I wanna go to the theater. Um, but other than that, I've, I have pretty much everything here in the Tampa Bay area of Florida um, that I've that I've wanted, uh, which is why I moved here on purpose. Uh, so, <laughs> so I'm I'm happy where I am. I I I like New York City to visit, but I don't want to live there. Yeah. So I, you know, same thing. You know, Broadway, pizza, um, Italian bakeries, all all that stuff. I miss it. Um, I, they, they say it's something in the water anyway. So now for folks who, you know, you row back, we're not going to talk about New York city anymore. Um, so what was your transition though? Like coming from another city into the Tampa area? Um, well, it was, uh, it was a little messy. We moved, I moved here with my family, um, my husband and my two children, and, uh, they were, still too young to go to elementary school. So um, moving, you know, across the country with two children is, is hard enough. You have to find your, your, you have to find babysitters and you have to find um, daycare and you have to know where you want to send them to school. And when, uh, when we did move here, um, my husband had taken a job um, in Tampa, in Tampa proper. And uh, we moved into the suburbs outside of Tampa and he would commute to Tampa and I would be home with the children and the company that I had been working for up north, um, they were not going to let me work remotely for them uh, for a long time. They actually gave me an eight week allowance. Wow. Like I could work remotely for the first eight weeks and then I was going to be cut off because um, really they wanted me to just stop working. It's just, you're moving out of town. You have to stop working for us. But I was capable of as, as working if the remotely. Internet, as if the internet had not <laughs> existed at this point. I, I was capable of working remotely, 
but um, they, I was in the middle of a project that they really needed me to finish. Uh, so they gave me that eight week allowance. It was really a management situation because the, in order to have successful remote employees in this industry, you need to have managers that can handle managing people remotely. And at the time, they just didn't have the management. Um, in fact, okay. my manager had like resigned the same day I announced I was moving. So okay. <laughs> it, was, okay. it was a bit of a kerfuffle. And um, yeah, so uh, coming down to, uh, to Florida and then uh, trying to find a, a new job that wouldn't take me too far away from home or from the daycare center where my children would be since we uh, didn't, didn't have any family here. I didn't have anybody I could rely on if there was like an emergency at daycare or something. I needed to be close by. Um, and I kind of hit that same wall that I had in New York, which was if I wanted to have, you know, a decent career in tech in the Tampa Bay area, I was probably going to have to work in Tampa proper, which meant commuting. But it also meant um, commuting away from where my children would be all day. And I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable with that. So I had interviewed for a few companies, you know, on site in Tampa proper when I first arrived here, and I just came to the conclusion that it was, it was remote or or nothing. <laughs> and, that was the only way. Right, and so you you work. So this is the this is. I think I honestly think this is incredibly ironic because you uh, moved down here from New York into the Tampa Bay area and you found a job working remotely for a company that has a very, very large presence in the New York area. Yes. I did the same. I, I came down here and I now work remotely for a major league baseball team that operates out of the Bronx. I can't say their name, but that's what, so <laughs> it's just, if you, if you're, if you're in New York and you want to come to Florida, you will definitely be able to get remote jobs working <laughs> out of New York. I was going to say, um, I think it's great though, that all of these, that there are companies that are in New York that are offering, yeah. um, people to work re remotely for them, even though they're based in New York, because again, it, finding talent to work for your company is very limited if, if Manhattan is the place that you have to be for work because you can only live in so many places to commute into Manhattan every day. Uh, so this idea that, that they're allowing people to work remote, let's, let's any company, particularly one that's in an expensive city, um, hire people from all over yeah. and, and, um, and they can still be wildly successful. Yep. 100%, 100%. And they could still pay a fair wage, um, not necessarily paying that Manhattan price for a developer, but paying, you know, a higher, uh, on the higher end of the scale for wherever those municipalities are that they're hiring in. And I think that they're still able to get those great developers and pay them well without being ridiculous about the wages. So, um, but when you, so when you came down here and the last kind of question I have about this is that, you know, 
everybody tries to find their favorite, you know, restaurants or grocery stores when they settle into a new city, right? Um, professionally, though, what kind of things were you looking out for? Or did you kind of just these kind of fall into your lap happenstance? Um, was it meetups, local, local conferences, kind of what, what gave you that comfort professionally? Uh, definitely meetups. As I came down here, I didn't have a job here and I didn't have um, family here. And I was uh, working remotely for those first eight weeks and then I would be taking on a remote job. So I had no outlet for meeting other people in the industry locally without meetups. So meetup was the first place I went to say, hey, um, you know, I'd like to make some friends, <laughs> meet some people in my industry here yeah. um, in, in the Tampa Bay area. And this was the only, the only uh, way that I knew how to, to meet those people and to network with uh, more local developers. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, for, as a, and the reason I asked that is because I know right now because of COVID, because of, you know, higher expenses now, uh, a lot of folks are moving around the country, going either back home or moving out of the cities that they're in and trying to find some place that are cheaper. So just trying to get some tips and tricks for some of those folks who may be listening, hopefully are listening um, <laughs> to the show and they can get some, some good information out of that. Uh, yeah. Well, meetups are great right now. All, most of the meetups are meeting up online. Yeah. So um, I've attended a meetup this week that was a regular once a month meetup that I was never able to get to because it was always on a Wednesday night in St. Petersburg, which is a bit of a drive for me where I live. <clears throat> so getting out on a school night all the way out to St. Petersburg was rough and I never made it to that one meetup. And now that meetup is online and I got to attend for the first time this week. That's awesome. Uh, so I think, you know, it, it's, it is a little bit more fun when they're in person. Oh, for um, sure. But, you know, for the sake of networking and getting like FaceTime with other people, um, in during this pandemic, you know, making it uh, remote friendly, make your meetups remote friendly and you'll, you'll get to meet new people. Yeah. And, and sometimes try to find those Slack channels because, you know, there are Slack groups uh, because they're, that's also a great place to kind of converse with folks throughout the day and, and kind of get a, a pul you know, put your finger on the pulse of what's going on in that community. Uh, that's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Now we're going to get to the pirate hat. <laughs> so, well, it's a good segue from meetups to pirate hat because meetups is the reason I have the pirate hat. Uh, why a, do, yeah. So tell, tell us, I mean, I, I know, I know why you have the pirate hat, but you, I want you to tell the story. Well, actually, uh, the, Pirate hat is is part of a full full blown pirate costume. There's a whole outfit that goes with the hat, uh, but okay. um, the hat is definitely the easiest part of yeah. the costume to wear. <laughs> uh, but what happens with this with this is um, I discovered again when I came down here to Florida and I started wanting to be involved in meetups. Uh, I joined a meetup group that. Um, uh, it, it was a girl develop it chapter here, but that it's no longer that chapter. Um, but I joined that group and I wanted to attend their meetups and some of their meetups were at times I couldn't get out from my house and 
or places that were too far for me on weekday nights because of kids. So I said I wanted to host some networking meetups on myself at times that would work for me and other parents. Uh, so I started trying to host meetups and I found that myself, I am an extrovert. So if I walk into a place where I am looking for someone and I don't recognize them right away, I will just walk up to everybody in the room and introduce myself until I find the person I'm looking for. And I discovered that that is not the case for most people. Uh, and people had real trouble finding me for meetups in these public spaces. So I'd have people say after the meetup when the, when only like three out of 25 showed up, people would say, oh, I went, but I couldn't find you. Oh. So I didn't stay, okay. you know, and I would give people very explicit instructions of where I would be. You know, and and I had my photo on Meetup and I had my photo on the Slack channel. And I just assumed people would recognize me from my my avatar and nobody did. And it, it was a bummer. So I had started hosting those meetups with balloons. I would bring a bunch of balloons and I would write on the balloons with Sharpie that we were this, you know, this event that we were at. And it was awkward of course to show up to a public space with balloons for not a birthday party yeah. but uh the balloons were more effective than nothing uh so that was great until i wanted to have a meetup at the front end develop front end design conference um because we were going to have a meetup during the during the lunch break of one of the days of the conference and I wasn't going to bring balloons to the conference. And I just happened to have it's acquired kinda... a fedora <laughs> okay. from the, from view conference us in new Orleans in 2017, 2017. Yeah. 2018. Now I can't remember. Anyway, I had this fedora view conference had been the month before. And I said, well, I can't tell people to look for the balloons because I'm not bringing balloons to a conference. So I'm going to wear this fedora, which is totally out of place, you know, and I tell people, you know, if you're trying to find us for the meetup, look for the, for the woman with the backpack and the fedora. And it was a hit. People said, yeah, with the fedora, we found you easily because we knew that was you because you're wearing the fedora. So there's no question if it was the person in the photo or not, right. because I said I was wearing a fedora. <laughs> And they found me. So I would start well, how, wearing the fedora. So how did the hats get bigger then? <laughs> well, the following year, uh, we had a view conference in Tampa. Okay. And that was a um, that was really cool for me because I didn't have to travel and I wanted to go to view conference again. And it was a big venue and there were going to be people attending that I had never met in person. And I considered wearing the fedora, but then I realized I, if I wear the fedora, the view conference fedora to view conference, it's not going to be very unique because I bet there's going to be other people there wearing their fedoras from last year. And I, and I had this thought like and 20 minutes before I was leaving <laughs> for, the, for the conference, I looked at my closet. I was like, oh no, I can't wear the fedoras. Other people are going to be wearing fedoras. What am I going to wear? And right next to my fedora is this giant pirate hat. And I was like, 
it'll work and I don't have to carry balloons. So here we go. <laughs> I just took the hat and I told people, look for, look for the woman in the pirate hat. And it was awesome because everybody came up to me. People I wasn't trying to meet came up to me. People I'd never met before found me so easily. Um, and it was a great conversation piece. Everybody wanted to ask me about the hat. Like, what's with the hat? You know? Uh, so I got a lot of attention. Do you ever get tired of talking about the hat though? Cause I imagine after a while, you know, I don't. Okay. That's fair <laughs> enough. I haven't yet. It's been two and a half years now that I wear this hat every time I go to a meetup or every time I speak. And I, when I speak at conferences now, I wear the hat while I speak. And when I teach workshops, I wear the hat yeah. while I teach the workshops. That's awesome. Um, and it has this, really awesome effect on shyer folks, I guess, because it gives them something to, to, to say, to talk about, to focus on. And it really is kind of just like a beacon of like, it's okay to talk to me. I'm here for that, you know? Uh, so it makes people comfortable. And I've taught, I've spoken at meetups at, um, at uh, actually at the Suncoast Developers Guild where people came to that, venue for the first time for a meetup that I was speaking at. And I've been told they're so glad I wore this hat because they weren't even sure if they were in the right place, <laughs> but they knew that the pirate hat was the dead giveaway that they were in the right place. <laughs> I, so I, I'm an introvert. So it's always weird for me to kind of, you know, I, there, I'll sit in a talk at a meetup or uh, at, at a conference where there's a lot of people and you want to go up to the speaker and say, Hey, you know, what you were talking about was I'm inspired by that. When I get home from here, I'm going to go try out that new technology, but there's always that, Oh, this is going to be so weird. Like, I'm just going to walk up to somebody and tell them they did a good job. Like, okay, that's weird. Right. Um, cause <laughs> as an introvert, that's how your mind works, right? You're just like, eh, that, that doesn't sound right. So, uh, I think what I'm going to try now is just pretend like everybody's wearing a pirate hat that's giving a talk or, or other yeah. weird, you know, thing that, or not weird, but other outside of the, outside of what you would expect uh, thing on their head. So. Right. The other cool thing about this pirate hat is that Tampa Bay oh, is known for pirates. So when I travel, <laughs> and I take the hat with me. I have a whole suitcase for it. <laughs> when I travel, I take this hat with me. I've been pointed out with people like Tampa Bay because oh. I'm wearing a pirate hat. And they think, you know, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and everything. Oh, okay. And it's it's not really, you know, sports related at all. But it is definitely me representing Tampa Bay wearing a pirate hat when I travel. So um, that's been a lot of fun also. Well, yeah, I was gonna, I was just gonna ask you about that. Like, so I, I imagine that hat does double duty around Gasparilla Day or Gasparilla. It totally. Oh, yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, for anybody who has no idea what Gasparilla um, is down here, Gaspar the Gasparilla celebration, uh, definitely. Uh, well, I'll put a link in the show notes for this because you've got to check that out. Um, when Michelle says that she has a suitcase for this hat, I want you to understand that this is not a small hat that you would pick up at, you know, outside of Pirates of the Caribbean at Disney World. This is a hat. Okay. <laughs> this is, this is, a, this is the real deal. Like I said, this is a badass pirate hat. The, cause the, and, and you know, it's funny that there's someone else in the Tampa Bay area that kind of has 
that, that does something similar to try to get folks to engage with them. Uh, Joey DeVia, he has his accordion that he's always yeah. around with. And, that's right. you know, that's always a treat when he decides to bring it and then break it out. So There's also a developer in Orlando whose name I am sorry, I can't remember, but he goes by the kilted coder and he wears a kilt to all the conferences. That's crazy. That's something you can only do in Florida. <laughs> can't, can't do that in New York in the winter. Uh, uh, well, I met actually met him for the first time in um, Atlanta. It's Atlanta, yeah, a Connect Tech in Atlanta. Okay, cool. So, so, and I, he just happened to be from Orlando, and I just happened to be coming from the Tampa Bay area. But you know, when the tech conferences are in town, you yes, know, you get all the characters out. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, so, you know, I want to talk about conferences, meetups, and workshops. And you're part of the front end foxes. Um, you're their communication manager. So, you know, I, I mentioned the organization before, and I can get into it. But you're, since you're the communication manager, why don't you tell us a little bit about the group uh, so that you can do um, a little bit more justice than I can? <laughs> so, front end foxes is actually a new branding. Yeah. on the group View Vixens, which was started by um, Jen Looper, who is a dev relations person for Microsoft. Um, and the, the, the impetus to have a View Vixens is that Vue.js being kind of the new framework on the block, uh, there is a React Girls program, there's an NG Girls program for Angular, uh, there's PyLadies for women in Python, um, and then there's there's for for Rails and Ruby. There's all these different groups uh, for women to engage in that one technology. Yeah. So um, Jen Looper started the View Vixens, uh, which had its first official workshop event at the beginning of the first View Conference US in New Orleans, which happens to be the conference where I got the fedora. And um, I, I, I thought it was great to have, you know, just a, a space for, for the women to convene and, and, and work together um, because you go to these national tech conventions and, and it, you know, the women, the, the percentage of women to men is, is you know, it's, it's significantly lower. And it's just nice to have, um, you know, a space for, for women to, to talk to other women and, and um, just to keep that, uh, that section. Sure. So, you know, and also to find each other instead of being dispersed in, in these giant groups, you know, we have one space, like we had a, there was a view Vixens table and all the women who were interested were sitting there. Uh, and so I jumped right in and I was like, Hey, what's, you know, what's up with the view Vixens? How can I get involved? Um, and they did not have, really a main communications and I suggested Slack. Uh, so I became the Slack moderator oh, for cool. the View Vixens Slack. And uh, it's been it's been a great resource. We have a code help channel and uh, we have space for uh, people to, to celebrate their wins and talk about um, the, their jobs and, and negotiating for jobs or, or, or looking at job posts and uh, helping each other find jobs and network. So um, I am the communications manager for 
for what used to be View Vixens because I am the moderator for the Slack uh, that we have. And then I've been helping with the website and now the workshops. I've taught some of the workshops myself as a what we call a mentor. Right. Um, but now I'm working on the actual um, creation of workshops and the and the the tech behind the creation of our workshops. And um, yeah, I've met. I get to meet women from all over the world. Um, and yet, still, I'm on my computer when I do it. <laughs> uh, you know, I've worked with. We have a uh, chapters. We have international chapters. We have chapter in Japan. We have um, chapters in Canada. U.S., Colombia, Mexico, uh, Nigeria. We have some ladies in um, the Netherlands and Germany. Well, my, my so, so my wife wants to do coding from. She wants to do what I do, which is work from home. And so, I, <laughs> so I kind of suggested, well, you you've got to learn how to code. And so I what I think I'm going to try to help her with is to teach. We're going to learn. We're going to both learn Vue together. Um, awesome. Right. So, and I showed her cause she's, she's, she's bullish. Uh, so I showed her the VAR, the Varsov, um, you know, group that you guys have. And I said, look, there's a whole group of ladies that have done this. This is, um, it's not beyond what you can do. So it's just, and we have, and we have a Polish contingent as yeah. well. No, that, and that's what I said. It's mm -hmm. like, look, you know, you can communicate with these folks and you can do it in Polish if you'd like, um, uh, you know, on Slack. And she's yeah. like, what's Slack? So we've got a little bit of, <laughs> We've got yeah. a little bit to, to kind of build up to that, but we're definitely going to do that. What? Yeah. So View Vixens, um, as of, as of um, March, in March, this past March, we announced this, um, that we are rebranding to front-end boxes. And the reason for that is that our model, um, the way that we, that we manage workshops and the way that we... Um, do our thing mm -hmm. as view vixens has been so successful uh people have reached out to um to our group to our leadership and have asked uh you know would we do this for react would we do this for you know other frameworks would we do this for javascript just plain javascript you know would we ever consider teaching you know html and css and the interesting thing is that just about everybody who is a, a a chapter leader or part of the leadership or part of the mentoring group um, of the the View Vixens, which is now Fronted Foxes, uh, we all know those technologies. We just don't have actual workshops written to teach them. So okay. the only thing holding us back from doing that is, you know, taking the time to write workshops in those other um, languages or other frameworks. And uh, so we said, well, if we're going to teach React, we can't call ourselves View Vixens. We got to, you know, we got to, we have to expand and scale to all these other things. And as much as I love Vue.js and I love advocating for Vue.js, um, for women who join our group who are looking for work, when they are looking for work, um, you know, Vue.js isn't always the technology of choice at the jobs that they're interested in. So um, to teach React is to continue with our mission of educating women in tech and giving women an opportunity to network, but also teaching them the skill that is 
in demand in their area or for what they do uh, by teaching them React because I mean, I can develop in React. I just prefer Vue.js, but I'll teach somebody how to how to develop in React. You know, well, that's still um, ama it's amazing though. The, you know, because putting together that content uh, and offering it to, to women and having it as a resource, then backed up with the community, because mm -hmm. that's I think what really kind of is the driving force behind folk getting folks to learn is the community behind them, and that when they get stuck with a problem, there's someone to go to as opposed to all right, I'm going to look, and if I don't find the answer right away, I'm kind of going to give up, you know, right. or, or more likely, I'm going to put it to the side, and then time goes by, and then enough time goes by where it's just like, I just don't do that anymore, right? So right, it's a great group. Uh, yeah, one of the, the, the things, and this ties into remote work as well, um, one of the things that I think gets lost in the mix when people decide they want to sit down and learn um, how to how to develop or how to um, they want to learn a new language a software uh, language that they sit down by themselves and they look for tutorials to do by themselves and they go through it online by themselves and if they're inspired enough they'll build something and if they're not they'll they'll dabble in it but maybe it will come to nothing um, but what you what you are missing in in that space is someone to talk to about it or someone to guide you who who has experience already. Right. And one of the things that I like to do for work and for front end foxes and just in general for anybody that I'm friendly with who needs a second set of eyes or uh, an opinion on their code is that I advocate for pair programming. And um, I've had people say to me, what is pair programming? And to me, I'm shocked. Like, you, have yeah. you never pair programmed before? I think pair programming is, is great. And really, um, in the remote world where we are all using Zoom and, and um, FaceTime and VS Code has a, an extension, VS Code Live, so people can share their code. Uh, so screen sharing and talking through a coding problem um, or, you know, working together on something that's maybe open sourced on GitHub so that you're looking at the same code and you're discussing it is a really underrated opportunity. I think, um, I wish more people would be interested in pair programming or looking for pair programming from others. Uh, because I feel like even when I'm teaching someone else, one-on-one -on -one or even in a group, even I'm learning things that I didn't realize. Either I didn't realize I, I had internalized, I'd never put them into words, or I'm helping someone figure something out that's even beyond my skill level and we figure it out together. So it's a learning opportunity for the, let's say the higher level or the more experienced person, as well as the person who's learning. Um, and it's just great to get uh, other opinions and other, sure. um, just what, what I like to call a second set of eyes on your work because you, you, you get a lot out of it. And it helps establish that, uh, relationship between folks on the team. So yes. you, you've got that as well. And it, it makes the team feel a little more, you know, well put together. I, I think, cause I've, I, when I came up, I went through pair programming. Um, so Nandish, if you're listening, thank you so much. 
<laughs> because he, he, he worked a lot with me, but, um, so that's great. That's great. Um, big stuff. I mean, I know the pandemic and everything, but I imagine there's going to be big stuff for front end foxes in 2020, 2021. Absolutely. We are, um, currently using a zoom for, um, for workshops. So cool. we've taught a couple of workshops now, uh, using zoom. And again, we're, it's international. One of our first zoom workshops that was taught was with, um, was paired with tech ladies in Singapore. Oh, cool. So it was, it was, a uh, the group was Singaporean and, um, it was our, View Vixen's workshop content, and it was mentored by one chapter leader that we have who lives in the U.S. but is Singaporean, and and by our our president founder Jen Looper, and all of these people from Singapore. Um, you know, we have we have the screenshot of the like the Brady Bunch <laughs> photo where everybody's in, on Zoom at the right. same time, smiling for the camera. So uh, you can see on our website all these, or on our Twitter feed all these. Um, these amazing women who come out and learn these things uh, over Zoom, and uh, and even in other countries, our um, Japan chapter is using a, a different um, video resource for for their workshops, which are in Japanese. Um, but they are, you know, they're also the same workshop, same workshop content, the same concept. We use a method called actually called the um, the grandmother method. Oh, this you ever heard of the grandmother no, method? No. So, so one of the things about our workshops is that the content of our workshops is open source. It's all online. You can just go there and follow the tutorial by yourself. You don't need someone to work with you to teach it to you. It's all there yeah. in, on the website. Um, but what makes our workshops uh, powerful and engaging is this grandmother method, where you know we we lightly go over the content. And then we let the students jump in and start following the, the guide in the tutorial. And this also makes it great where you can have one mentor with like 20 students because they're all following what's on the website. And then the mentor will, will walk around the room or in the case of Zoom, will will ask occasionally, you know, if anybody needs assistance, um, does anybody have questions? Uh, checking on people, say how like how is your project going? Can I see your you know okay. where you are so far in the program? And so this method is like that the the curiosity of the student is is the curiosity of the child, right? They're interested in learning. They want to get into it. Um, they want to get their hands dirty with with what they're building, sure. right? And they don't necessarily want to be told what to do. So they want to do it on their own. So they get into it and they're engaging. And then as a grandmother might give a child, you know, some toy or some craft or something and let them just do on their own and then come over and say, Oh, what did you build? How's it going? Can you show me what you did? That's cool. You know, and, and this brings out, um, you know, the, the, the more internal uh, motivation for the student uh, to, to show their work. Um, you know, to, and if they, and to, to do what they need to do, what they're, they're skilled with already so that you're not learning things that you didn't need to, to learn. Um, so for example, um, there was a, a Vixens workshop 
taught at an at an event in uh, I believe it was Colombia, it's Colombia or Argentina, I can't remember now. But the, the the beauty of these workshops is they're free, and they're for women. But they're for women any age, and any skill level. So sometimes you'll get somebody who come who comes in and they're they're very new. They really don't know JavaScript. HTML and CSS is like still new to them, and they may need more attention from the mentor than, say, someone who already knows JavaScript or somebody who works with right. React and just wants to dive into Vue.js as a side project. Um, and there was this one in South America where they had React developers who were there to learn Vue, and they had a 78-year-old woman who did not know how to code at all. That's so and cool. she walked away with a working mobile app. That's so cool. So the the whole process and this this grandmother method of of teaching gives us the chance to um, help who needs help when they need help and kind of um, off to the side, like right. almost like pair programming in person um, with someone who needs help with just what they're working on. Right. Uh, so I taught a workshop at, um, I taught a View Vixens workshop at the Suncoast Developers Guild. Uh, it was a full day workshop, it was a whole Saturday. I had 20 students, I was the only teacher and I was able to get everybody through the program um, and some people had more questions than others and I was able to sit down with some people and I was even able to pair um, less experienced students with more experienced students and then they were getting help from the person sitting next to them kind of more Montessori style. So it's a more open um, way of teaching this content and the, the big deal is that the content is already created and exists um, on the web, if somebody walks away and they're they're not satisfied with with what they built during the workshop, they can go back and the instructions are all there. Well, hats off to you because that I mean, when you you mentioned a whole teaching a whole day workshop, I've done that for Android a couple of times with the Google Developer Group. It is not easy. So, hats off to you, um, and and you know from the community, thank you, because um, I know I don't. I don't know how many times you walk away from teaching an all-day workshop and someone says thank you. So on behalf, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, I, I want to do some retrospective questions if you don't mind. I don't mind. All right. Okay. What are some of the challenges you struggled with as a developer um, coming up in the field that you wish you didn't have to deal with? And maybe, you know, what ideas do you think as, as a community can we help fix those and to lessen any of the hardship? Well, my first barricade is that I don't have a degree or any formal training in computer science. I actually have a college degree in communications. Okay. <laughs> and um, and I, I, I also studied design, graphic design. Uh, so I kind of, I, let's say I, I tripped and fell into the, 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 the world of code by needing to create websites for the designs that I wanted to to create websites for. Um, so becoming a professional developer without a computer science degree back in the early 2000s yeah. was not an easy sell. It's, I mean, it's not uh, nothing like it is now. I, no. Because I, I, was, I was there then. That's when I was coming up <laughs> as a developer. And it, it yeah, so. 
Right. So when I when I talk to to folks who are coming into it now and they've been to a boot camp or a certification program, um, you know, I'm I'm impressed, you know, with their with the skills that they come out with because those are things that I struggled to to gain myself when I was first starting because I was very largely self-taught um, in what I was trying to become. Yeah. And uh, I wish that I knew, I wish I knew that computer science was a thing that I wanted to study because <laughs> I know I didn't, I didn't equate computer science with the things I wanted to do back then. Um, now I do, and I still don't have a degree in computer science. And sometimes when I talk to people who do have degrees in computer science, I'm like, oh, I wish I knew what you were talking about. But, <laughs> uh, you know. That's okay. Um, I, I have a degree in computer science, and I don't know what <laughs> people are talking about. So, uh, But the, I, as you said, there is definitely a struggle in, in knowing how to negotiate, um, knowing what you're worth. Um, financially what you're worth, what your value is in dollars um, is, a is a hard thing to figure out. And there's no, there's no easy way to, to, to make that determination. Right. So breaking into the industry and getting your first job and knowing if you're asking for the right amount of money, I know for a fact that when I got that first job, I totally undercut myself. I also was kind of doing it on purpose because I really wanted the job, <laughs> um, you know, but I learned and I've, I've moved up and, and um, I'm not undercutting myself anymore, which I'm, I'm happy about. Uh, so that was one. Communicating with other developers, communicating with other engineers. And when I say that I had I have these these moments with people who who speak the speak of computer science that I don't necessarily understand. Um, you know, it, there's, there are things that are being done in, in the, I guess you could say in the community, in the developer world, uh, professionally that they don't teach, they don't teach it in computer science class. They don't teach it in the boot camp. Um, and I'm finding that communicating, um, and version control systems, but this is why I gave the talk on yeah. pull requests. Communicating in version control systems is a black box for a lot of people. And I think there are more people who don't want to admit that they don't know what they're looking at when they're looking through GitHub than that are, you know, that are willing to say. Um, and I, I didn't learn GitHub like formally either. Like I had to, to I had to get stuck in there. Uh, and find my way out right. in order to figure out what I was doing and what I was looking at and how the best way to do these things are. Um, so when people are are graduating from their boot camps now and they want to know what they can do to level up in order to to get the the job that they want or get the next job, uh, I'm always encouraging folks to go into GitHub and get comfortable with the idea of communicating with people through GitHub issues, through pull requests. Um, you know, if you're provide, if you're um, able to commit to open source, you know, there, there's steps to commit to open source that you, you have right. to learn. Um, and there's not a lot of things out there to teach. And now I teach a crash course in contributing to open source on That's GitHub. Awesome. 
<laughs> that really is so, awesome because they they do not teach that stuff. I mean, maybe they they do now. I mean, I graduated twenty years ago, so maybe they do. I doubt it uh, because they're probably still teaching the same antiquated stuff and then throwing people out into the workforce and saying have fun. So right, but that, yeah. So these are these are are obstacles that that were to be overcome when I was when I was learning, and they're things that. Now, now that I know that there are obstacles that are to be overcome, and I see other people struggling with the same obstacles, I, I, I make it a point to to teach and, and mentor on those things. Um, I've helped people negotiate for salaries. I've helped people write cover letters. I've helped people with their resumes. I've helped people get into open source software. I've taught people how to write better commit messages, and and uh, awesome. so. So these are, and of course, this is a throwback to my degree in communications because this is all about communicating, and this is the one thing that I can say I got out of my my college education is my penchant for communicating and um, doing so uh, asynchronously and remotely as well as in person. Yeah, not all software engineers that come out of four-year universities know how to communicate effectively. So there, I'm. We just sometimes let's let's all agree, folks. We're not the best at communicating effectively. Um, all right, great. And you know, I think what's you know what's cool about um, what's what's cool about all the things that you mentioned is that you've kind of provided almost a list of things that if you're if you're listening to this, how you can help the tech community by giving back, helping someone negotiate their salary, helping someone you know write their cover letter you know, helping someone understand, you know, uh, some aspect of what their day job is, whether it's GitHub or Git or uh, whatever it is, you know, DevOps really, whatever, right? Um, go and do it. Find ways to help and, and just do one thing a week if you can. That makes, it just makes the world a better place. Um, Michelle, what advice would you give your younger self now uh, that you've had all of your career experiences? Um. I, I would definitely tell my younger self that you need to get more comfortable with version control systems. Okay. Uh, I would tell my younger self that there are other technologies for backend besides PHP <laughs> that you should look into before you decide to move forward. Uh, okay. uh, yeah, when Ruby on Rails and, and um, Django and Python were kind of smacks in the face coming from PHP. Yeah, well, anything is really, <laughs> like, anything from like, PHP is, a, yeah. Just knowing that there's all these other things out there that you don't know. Uh, the world opened up as I switched jobs. So like, like there's all this other stuff out there that you have yet to learn and you should be looking into it now. Um, I would definitely tell myself to write more code comments. Okay, that's a good one. <laughs> Because right now I write code comments and I write them for my future self um, because I know that when I look back at what I'm working on today, two years from now, I'm not going to remember what I was thinking and why I did it that way. Um, and I have, I am the person who goes back and looks at their own pull requests for the information that they wrote into the pull requests or the commit message that, that did that one thing. Um, so I, I am, when I'm writing uh, comments and commit messages and pull requests, I'm not just writing them to communicate with my colleagues. I'm writing them for myself, for my future self. That's a who good will point. absolutely forget everything that's happened this year 
by the time we come around to next year. Uh, So I need that, I need that history. Um, And that's where version control systems and commenting are all important things. I would tell my former self to do more of that so that I future self would struggle less. I, I think younger, younger developers don't realize exactly how much they're going to forget in the matter of two weeks on the job. I've, I've written code and then two weeks later, you just look back and like, who wrote this? Oh, you did. Oh, I did. <laughs> okay. I don't remember writing that. Um, okay. What's the one thing that you do to escape and clear your mind from writing code or just maybe technology in general? Um, I am a fitness enthusiast. Okay. Cool. Uh, fun fact, before I was a developer, I was a personal trainer in New York. Okay. Um, so I'm big on fitness and I, I like to work out and it's part of my, my schedule. I said, I have a regimented schedule. It includes workout time. Um, I like to practice yoga and I run and sometimes I swim and I weight train. Uh, so these are all things. And I also am an avid video game player. So video games are a big thing. And now that Nintendo ring fit is here, I get to merge the two together. (laughs) Very so cool. I get to work out and play video games at the same time, which is fun for me. That skews um, a little bit more towards playing video games, I think, but we'll <laughs> let it slide. We'll let it slide. No, I've, have you played Ring Fit? It's it's I, a hardcore workout if you do it right. <laughs> okay, I mean, I've 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 seen it. I haven't I haven't played it. I've seen it, um, but I'm kind of thinking we fit in the back of my mind. Oh, this is more intense than we okay. fit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so video games and working out and, um, getting outside out of doors is, is a big yeah. thing. I'm, I, I've, I definitely benefit, especially here in Florida where there's lots of sun. I definitely like going out, uh, outside for breaks and just getting my eyes off of a screen and into like a sunny space because it's yeah. a, a relief. Um, yeah. And of course I have children who are, who are also nice to hang out with sometimes. <laughs> Okay, cool. That's awesome. Um, I can I can only imagine that. I mean, so that that's I don't know how folks do it with kids, honestly, but because it's it's all of the jobs, chauffeur. <laughs> it's all the jobs, all of them at once. Yep. But as long as you're enjoying it, that's what matters. Yes. And you're enjoying your work, and you're enjoying your your family, and you're enjoying your your um your downtime. Yep. Whatever that is. And of course, if you're working remotely, you get more downtime. Yeah. I, I'd only add to that, that if you're working remotely, you know, to Michelle's point, like go outside, look at a tree, look at something green. No, I mean, it's, it's either, I'm serious that it's so, it just, it puts you in a different mood. Um, you know, exercising will definitely help clear your mind and, and get you, you know, get you into a different headspace. So Every, every point you said, I totally agree, is something that folks, if you're not doing, you should try and see what you like because you never know. Okay. Last question, Michelle. Promise. Uh, and then I'll, because I, I know we're going over, so I'll let you get out of here. Uh, folks in our profession don't get a whole lot of opportunities to promote themselves. And we kind of talked about this a little bit um, in terms of what, what folks are worth. But here's a chance for some self-promotion. What about yourself are you most proud of or you love the most or something about yourself that you use to inspire yourself, um, inspire confidence in yourself? Ooh, 
Um, I am very proud of my career and my my place in the front end boxes. Um, I am proud of being the code pirate the, who wears the hat to all the events. Um, I am proud that I am still uh, running. I had a back injury and I had back surgery and I have bounced back. I'm proud of that. And um, yeah, I'm proud that I have uh, you know a, a good life, my 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 family and my house and yeah. Excellent, excellent. Well, Michelle, I, I hope you had some fun hanging out today. I did. This was great. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Well, no technical questions here. We don't we don't. Do that. <laughs> um, okay, for folks out there that are interested in hearing more from Michelle. You can join the Front End Foxes meetup group uh, here in Tampa or join the Suncoast Developers Guild Slack. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at, at Michelle Sinowitz. Uh, don't worry, I'll put a link to that and spell it correctly for you to follow uh, in the show notes. Uh, you can also find me on the hashtag CodePirate. Oh, okay. There you go. Hashtag CodePirate. We'll put that in the show link as, as well. Um, so I'm also going to put some links to um, Michelle's talks at DevFest um, and then some of her appearances on the Thunder Nerds podcast as well. If that's okay with you, Michelle? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Sure. Excellent. Uh, thanks again, Michelle. And thank you all for listening. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We're on a bunch of your favorite podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast Podcasts, Anchor, and more. So subscribe on your favorite platform uh, to the Friends That Code podcast. And tell your friends, because next week we'll be back with another amazing person that I know that just happens to write code for a living. Until then, be well, everyone.